Well, good morning. It's good to be with you again today. We are looking at uh, continuing with the Reframing Your View and the Parable Series. And you know, it's amazing how parables have a way of slicing through the facade and getting to what is at the core. We've covered a number of parables. We, we looked at the rich fool and it revealed how there's greed and generosity just below the surface. We looked at the weeds growing alongside of the wheat and the question that the person was challenged with, who is the king, who is the Lord of your life? We looked at the lost sheep last week and the topic of humility and pride. And so today, today is the Good Samaritan, you've heard that. And the question is with regarding motives. And it is uh, interesting to hear the, a little bit around the text and to see what is being challenged and what is being asked. And how is Jesus cutting through the facade of, of what this person's question was? So we, I did a, a search on Google to see different uh, good Samaritans, you know, what, and you can find stories upon stories of people that have done heroic acts on behalf of someone. And they, uh, I, I wonder sometimes, do they even realize that they're referencing a biblical theme, a biblical story when they reference good Samaritan, whether it's news media or, or uh, other references that way. I told my grandson about this story yesterday just to see how his response would be, six years old. And so his, uh, I said, you know, the man gets beat up by the robbers and a priest comes along and, do you think he helped him? He said, yes. I said, he didn't. <laughs> and I said, but, but then a Levite came along. Do you think he helped him? He said, yes. I said, he didn't. Then, then a bad guy came along. Do you think he helped him? Oh, he started to get onto a theme here. He says, no. I said, he did. <laughs> you know, it's such a funny thing when we look at uh, the parables like this and how Jesus tells something that's important and it, it's opposite of what we would expect. It, it, it flips everything that we would have in our minds on its edge. And so this man, uh, who's a lawyer, comes and asks Jesus a practical question about eternal life. And the, we'll, we'll see the, the revelation of his motives quickly. But the question becomes for us, why do we do what we do? What is the reason behind it? And as we look at this text, I'd uh, challenge you to think about that. And as we look at this whole whole message here. So, and behold, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And he said, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And the man said, To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus, quite short and simply says, do this and you will live. But the man wanted to justify himself. And he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? 
So then Jesus begins with the parable. And he said a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed and leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was coming along the way, going down that road, and he, when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so also a Levite, when he saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, bound him up with, bound up his wounds, put on oil and wine, set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and gave the innkeeper, uh, and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and saying, take care of him. Whatever more you spend, I will repay when I return. So which of these proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed mercy. He couldn't even say the word Samaritan. That would be anathema. And Jesus said, you go and do the same. You go do likewise. So sometimes we do good things for the wrong reason. And serving God is one of those. We do good things for the wrong reasons. Maybe we serve God because of what we get out of it. If we do this, then God is going to reward us in these various ways. Or maybe it's because we want to please God, or it's obligation or duty. Or maybe it is just because of outward appearance. We want to look good to people. We want to have a Compared to, compared to other people, we want to look good. Well, what would happen if we served God just purely out of love for him and out of a true heart? So the motives uh, reveal what is inside. And the question you have to deal with today, wrestle with, is what are the motives of your heart? So this lawyer stands up, verse 25, and we've read it already. He stands up to put Jesus to the test. So that's problem number one. The funny thing about it is that Jesus is the one putting him to the test. And as we look at this, it will become more clear about that. But the second problem is the question that he asks. Not the question itself, but the way he asks it. What shall I do to inherit eternal life? It's a fair question. It's a reasonable question. We wonder that. Okay, we're going through this life, and we know there's life to come, but how do we get there? And so those that went to John the Baptist, and the sinners and the publicans, they asked John, what must we do to be saved? And in each case, he directed something to them that related to how they had been living. And then uh, when it was Pentecost, the people were cut to the heart. And they came to Peter and saying, Peter, what must we do to be saved? And so Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus. And you will be saved. Then the, in uh, Philippi, 
middle of the night, Paul and Silas had been captive by this uh, jailer, Philippian jailer. And as, he's, as they're there in the prison cell, they're singing songs, they're praising God. And then the earthquake comes and the jailer thinks that his life is done and he, uh, Paul says, no, no, we're all here. And then he asks that question, what must I do to be saved? So you can ask that question out of real sincere heart and response. But this man, he has a different attitude and thought in his mind as he looks to consider himself. What must I do? It's a self-centered motive. motive, And he reveals his heart and his focus on on his own self. After all, it's all about me. That's really what he's saying. You know, (laughs) we have all of the products, the iPhone, the iPad, the iMac, and on and on goes. Now we have a new one. It's the I do. What must I do? We, when we have a self-centered motivation, we're doing things out of obligation or duty. And so the New International uses the word must. What must I do to inherit eternal life? It's not a thing that he was looking forward to, not something he wanted to do. It was something he had to do. And so I, I think of the, the checklist. Get groceries, fill the car with gas, uh, pay the mortgage, get life insurance, get life, eternal life. You know, it's on the list. What must I do? Or maybe it's like going to a gym and you're needing to lose a significant amount of weight and you ask the, the trainer, how many times do I have to come? How many reps do I have to do? I want to get in shape. I want to lose the weight, but I just, I, I just don't want to overdo it. It's not what I get to do. It's what I have to do. And the other side of this uh, self-centered motive is described there in the Lent the end of his question where he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? This is a gift. I get this. It's about me. What do I get in the end? If I work hard, what do I get? What do I, I know that I deserve this if I'm going to work hard. I'll give, I'll give, I'll work hard, I'll try my best as long as I know there's a reward in the end. So since this man is trying to uh, manipulate God, Jesus flips it back on him and just asks one question that reveals everything. What is written in the law? How do you read it? Pretty straight. You seem like a smart man. Maybe you know the answer already. Why are you asking me? And so he gives the answer, love the Lord your God heart, soul, strength, and mind, and neighbor. That's a tall task. At least he switched from the self-centered focus to a God-centered focus, but his attitude isn't really God-centered. It's just, how do I please God? 
And it is true, that's straight out of Scripture, that quote. Jesus says, do this and you will live. But the question reveals his motive. Now, in moments of clarity, we might be able to say that we know it's not about us. And yet we live as if it is about us. And if we're really honest, we probably love ourselves more than we love God. Isn't that a hard thing to think about? If it's about pleasing God, we'll jump into that and just consider that. It's about pleasing God. Well, then let's look at what this means. Love the God, Lord your God with all of your heart. Whoa. How, do you get to, how are you going to do that? All is a big word. That's a lot of love. We love a lot of things. We love the car. We don't like to pay for it so much. Don't like it when it gets dirty and salt. We love our family, our spouse, our kids, as long as they obey or listen. Love our parents as long as they're providing and giving. Love the dog as long as we don't have to clean up after it. What percent of your heart is consumed by the other things that you love? It doesn't leave very much room for loving God with all. Well, then what, let's, let's, maybe that was too hard. Let's go to our souls. Well, how do you measure that? We don't even, can't even put, put quantity, uh, a box around the soul. It's, and then trying to love God, he's another invisible, unquantifiable uh, character being. What about the mind? Oh, we can't, that's a logical place to go. All of your thoughts? Are we not a distracted people? Can you control your thoughts for a day? An hour? Maybe during the sermon? My mind is distracted. You already know that. There's so many things that distract us. And then our strength is failing and falls short. We are weak. So... The statement is in scriptures for the very purpose of revealing its impossibility. Its impossibility. It is not possible to perfectly love a perfect God. And so the lawyer knows that. And he tries to justify himself. And then... Jesus jumps into the parable, and we see the priest going down the road, and he passes by on the other side. Levite, he passes by on the side. Why didn't they stop? Well, there's the practical side of it. If, if he actually was dead, or if he died in their presence, then they would be unclean. That would be terrible. But if God is a loving, compassionate God then they are revealing that he is not in them. He is not in their hearts. 
and the priest and the Levite are no better than the robber. Because they don't care how he ends. I was reading uh, one kind of a tragic story about a, a good Samaritan from New York City who's actually from Guatemala and had uh, immigrated to the United States and was living in New York, and he saw a man attack a woman, and so he intervened. And the woman took off running one direction, and the man stabbed him and took off running a different direction. And then he's laying there on the cement. It was all caught by a security camera. Eighteen people walked by him without doing anything. This lawyer was a part of the religious realm, the religious leaders. He was invested in a religious response. It was about appearance. It was about status. He was living as if the way to eternal life was through religion. So if maybe it's all about religion. If that's the way to eternal life, then you need to act the right way, do the right things, live a clean life. It's about appearance. It's about status. And really what it comes down to, boils down to, is comparison. I'm better than somebody else. Religious motivation is to be a good person compared to other people. So that means be in church, worship the right way, maybe go to the right church, attend the Bible studies, serve in the mission trip. But sometimes we do the right things for the wrong reasons, like serving God. You know, one of the benefits of this pandemic has been to clarify motives. Uh, Last July, Barna Research uh, released a study that they had done from the beginning of the pandemic until it's, uh, the data was released, revealed that one-third of practicing Christians had not attended any worship service online or in person in the four months prior. One-third. And one thing that I find delightful is you know, checking in on people that have not been here for a while. I just uh, did that this past week, and uh, people dealing with some health needs and issues, and, and they said, oh, we're, we watch faithfully every week. So greetings to you. I don't want to call you out by name, but glad that you're here every week. Well, there's a number of people that are doing everything that they can because their heart is in the right place. They want to be here. They want to worship God. The way to eternal life is not about what we must do. It's not about pleasing God. It's not about religion. And this parable reveals that it's just about your heart. So the Samaritan, he comes along, verse 33, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. As Kira already described, the Samaritans were the hated enemies of the Jews. It was a mutual 
attitude. And here, this man that is is uh, been beaten up. He's from Jerusalem, so Samaritans would have no reason, no benefit. What would be his motivation to stop and help this half dead guy? Why would he use his own precious oil and wine? Why would he give up his own donkey so that he could ride? Why would he pay someone to take care of a perfect stranger? He had nothing to gain, no one to impress, no personal benefit, no motive. Yeah, his motive was revealed. His motive was out of his own heart, his own compassion. But you know, the funny thing is, is that when we actually do care for people, stepping outside of ourselves, we do receive benefits, just not in the tangible monetary type of way, because people become more important than things. And things and time do not hold on to us, like grip us. His action pleases God. Because this man was made in God's image. His act of kindness was an act of worship. So then the question comes back to, what are the motives of your heart? One thing that encourages me a great deal as a pastor is to see those motives lived out in people's lives. Because we have... A lot of good Samaritans all around us that are never receiving recognition. Nobody would know. Jesus knows, thankfully. But there's greeters that meet you as you walk into the church. There's people that are praying that nobody knows. There's others that are teaching kids the Bible. There's uh, those that are taking care of homeless within our congregation. Those that are supplying food for hungry those that are preparing crafts, those that are making quilts, those that are sending books to people in other parts of the world. Some people are helping others with their car. Some are bringing groceries to a shut-in. Some are giving rides to a neighbor. And it's never done for recognition because it's not about recognition. It's just about serving God. You know, the interesting, most interesting thing about this, this story, this parable, is that the Good Samaritan is the one that is telling the story. You are the one that is half dead on the side of the road. And Jesus stops, and he cares for you gives you his body and his blood to heal your wounds, wounds of sin. He pays the price for your healing, the price of his very life. He gives his spirit to you to revive you. And he says, whatever is Whatever's left, I'll take care of that too. But I'm going to go and prepare a place. 
I don't know what your motives are for what you do and why you do it. I hardly know my own motives. But maybe you've been doing the good things for the wrong reason, and today you're ready to stop doing it on your own. You're ready to quit trying to please God or, or to compare yourself to other people. Maybe today you're saying, Jesus, will you just pick me up and carry me? I want to surrender to you. I want you to change my heart. And he will love to do that. Are you ready to say yes to Jesus? Let's uh, close in prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. You are an amazing, loving Father, and we see your care and your compassion even in, revealed in this text, in this story, and how you are the one that came and, and lifted us up, brought life back into us, who would give us hope in Christ. And Father, I pray that for those who today are saying, I, I'm, I've just been trying to do it on my own. Trying hard to please God, and I, I, I just can't. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would be speaking to them this morning and that you would allow them this moment to respond and to turn and, and to receive your love and your care. And to allow your body and blood to heal the wounds of our sin and heal the wounds of our lives. that we would say yes. You would purify our hearts. Make them soft. Pray this in Jesus' name.